Well, welcome everybody to Grace this weekend. Thanks for uh, <clears throat> being here. You may want to scooch in a little bit. Folks are still coming in. And it's also a great time for me to remind you of the services at the extension, which start in 15 minutes, which could alleviate any fight that you're having at the moment, because uh, you'll be on time there. But be sure to check that out if you've never been there before. But glad that you're here. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. We're in a series right now called uh, Thick and Thin. Uh, through Thick and Thin, good friends are hard to find. And we've been talking about friendship. Started the conversation a few weeks ago and uh, build it off of, a, it's called a theological construct or a paradigm out of Genesis chapter two, which says that uh, our desire to be friends, our desire to love people and be married and have friends is actually a God-given desire. It's us being created in the image of God that causes that longing within us. So it's not just social pressure, peer pressure, cultural pressure, it's actually a, a God thing in us. And it's a good thing, it draws us to each other, makes us open to sharing our lives, it allows us to allow other people to share their lives with us, and it's a desire that's within us. And we, then we said that kind of turns to friendship then. And so in that first week, we just laid out a vocabulary of different types of friends. We said we have circumstantial friends, seasonal friends, lifelong friends, destructive friends, and friends that are closer than brothers and we started last week and then started talking about what those true and good friendships look like we talked about the, what different characteristics of good friends are we did DTRs on our friendships so we need to define these relationships what kind of levels are they at and we said when we see a good friend a true friend that's got all those qualities we invest in that relationship that's the kind of friend we want to be and it's the kind of friend that we're looking for. We also have said these last couple of weeks that friendships are most often created, they're not discovered. So these are relationships that we invest ourselves in. We love our neighbor as ourself, as we love Christ, right? And so we invest ourselves in, the, in these and there's intentionality in it. And so we've, uh, we've been talking that through. You can look at um, uh, everything on the web, graceohio.org, the messages are there. You can watch them there. You can look at them on the app, just hit messages and they'll come up in beautiful high definition. You're welcome. And, or you can get a, a podcast if you want. Sign up for that and it'll come to you right away. You can kind of fill in those blanks. Uh, this weekend, we're gonna look at some of those lists and this weekend, we're actually gonna talk about destructive friendships. So we kind of talked about the positive side last weekend, what a true friend looks like. We're gonna look at destructive friendships this weekend and then next weekend, we're going to talk about uh, friends that are closer than brothers or a friend that becomes families the way we said it. The Bible says a friend that's closer than a brother. That's the richest friendship that we can have. There's examples of that in scripture. I'm gonna show them to you and we're gonna talk about how do you build that kind of a relationship. But in the middle of those two awesome things, true friends, friends that are like family, we have to talk about the reality of destructive friendships, destructive relationships. What do they look like? What do we do about them? And how do those uh, play out in our lives? When you look at the Bible, when the Bible's talking about friendships or relationships, the Bible actually has more to say about destructive relationships than anything else. Because God, I think, realizes that we don't always realize we're in a destructive relationship. We don't think that way. We're kind of blinded by enjoyment or loving somebody and we kind of have to stop and pull back a little bit and think about that I might be headed down this destructive path 
in my life. So when you look at the Bible, uh, you can find these warnings a lot that God will say, hey listen, uh, you, you need to have a heads up on this one, you need to dial in because when people are like this, it's going to affect you. These are the type of people you do not invite into close relationships in your life. Let me show you some of this in the Bible. Um, Proverbs chapter 13, <coughs> he who walks with wise men will be wise but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Friends are gonna influence you for the good, wise will be wise, but the fool, the godless one, the person who rejects God, that's what the, uh, the word fool kind of means in the Bible, you're going to suffer harm for that. First Corinthians 15, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals, right? One rotten apple spoils the barrel. That's where all that comes from. No matter who you are, you surround yourself with bad company, you're going to pick up those kind of activities. Proverbs 12, the righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 14, a scoffer seeks wisdom and finds none, but knowledge is easy to one who has understanding. Leave the presence of a fool or you will not discern the words of knowledge. That word leave, another way the Bible uses that word in the Hebrew is uh, it uses it as flee. And so you'll hear that a couple times in scripture. Flee sexual immorality, for instance, right? And, and resist the devil, he will flee from you. So that's the idea. When you, you flee or you get away from a foolish person because they will blind you to what is true and what is good and what is healthy. Uh, Proverbs 22, do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. Don't associate with people like this or you will become the accomplice, right? You are the getaway driver, everybody's going to prison, right? So you, you get away from that or you're gonna be snared up in it yourself. Psalms 1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit at the seat of scoffers. It's a, it's a kind of a, almost a reverse thing the Bible does. You're gonna be blessed when you don't listen to these types of people. Uh, you're gonna be blessed when you create distance between yourself and these types of people. It will line you up with where you need to be. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5.11 Paul says, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an adulterer or idolater or a reveler or a drunkard or a swindler. Don't even eat with such a person. And I could go on and on and on and on, right? We could, I could sit here all weekend and just read verses to you. And this, this is what the Bible would say. It's super clear. It's really, really easy. The, the big umbrella message is destructive relationships will bring about destruction on you. Destructive relationships will bring about destruction on you. Destructive friendships will bring about destruction into your life. And the Bible warns about it. God's saying, hey, you, be you better clue into this because you'll drift into these friendships. These are not benign relationships. They're not neutral relationships. If someone is hard-hearted and hard-headed, they will influence you and they will take you down paths that you don't want to be on. So when you look at that, it's, it's kind of easy peasy. Like, should I have bad friends? Well, it's pretty simple to find out in the Bible that no, you shouldn't do that. So the question isn't, 
Are there wise people and foolish people? The question is, is it good for me or bad for me to have bad friends? That's easy peasy. The question, the question that you're always struggling with is this. Well, how do I know if my friend is a destructive friend or if they're just struggling with something? Like, how do you tell the difference, right? Because everybody in here and everybody that you're friends with is going to have these ups and these downs in their life. In fact, we learned last weekend that that's part of being a true friend is you're long suffering. You go through, your actions affect me negatively, but I stay with you anyways. So how do I know if they're struggling, right? If they, if they're just, if they just have relapsed or if they're a hard-hearted, hard-headed person, a fool, the Bible would say, that I should get myself away from, how do you tell between the two things? And this is a question, it's one of the questions, one of the few questions in scriptures that God answers very directly and very clearly. He literally writes a list and he says, if you see these things, these things are the marks of a destructive person. They're hard-headed, they're hard-hearted, they do not want to interact with me, they will bring about destruction, and when you run through these things, if these characteristics show up in their lives, you create distance. We're not talking about someone who's struggling. We all hurt each other, we're human beings. What we do best and most naturally is sin against each other. So we're not talking about someone who's struggling, we're talking about someone who is no longer struggling, they have proudly, right, publicly locked in and they don't want to hear any kind of truth. They reject it, in fact, they resent it, right? So how do you tell the difference between a struggling friend and a hard-hearted friend? The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter six. So open your Bibles up there. Proverbs chapter six, if you don't have a Bible, there's some there under the chairs, it's page 441 in those Bibles. If you don't have a Bible or a newer copy of one, just keep that one. We'd love for you to have it, right? And if you wanna use the app, hit the Grace Church app, hit live, and all the notes and all the verses are there on the app. Proverbs chapter six, verse 16, this is what God says. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. There are seven things, six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, and then there's a list. Now, isn't that a little bit weird or a little bit almost jarring to hear the Bible, see the Bible say God hates certain things. We're not used to hearing that, especially here at Grace. We talk so much about the character of God. God is a loving God. He's not out to get you. He's out to save you. If God wanted to get you, he would have got you by now, right? And God doesn't need much ammo. You've given him plenty to nail you with a lightning bolt. So we have a loving God, a merciful God, a God who pursues us, a God who came to make a way of escape for us, a God that did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And we talk about it all the time, and then you see God hates something. What, why would God hate something. You see that a few times in scripture. He hates a wickedness or he hates an oppressor. Or he hates divorce. Like he hates these things. Why would God say he hates something? Let's talk about this for a second. First of all, he's not talking about a behavior. 
he's talking about a condition of the heart, right? So God hates things when that thing is unquestionably and clearly harmful to the people that he loves and is distortive of the love that he wants to give those people. So God hates something when it's unquestionably and clearly harmful to the people that he loves and it distorts the love that he wants to give to people. So when God looks at this list or or writes this list and he says, I hate these things, what he's saying is this, there is nothing redemptive about these seven things. There is zero upside. The only thing, the only outcome of these seven things is it's going to destroy you. It's going to wound you. It's going to hurt you. There is no redemptive quality. And people like this are going to distort my love for people. You're gonna mess people up and they're gonna see God even in the wrong way. I hate these things. There's nothing positive to be out of it, okay? Now, these things are heart conditions that show up in the lives of people. So I'm gonna bring it back into my friendships again. I'm DTRing my, my relationships, looking at defining the relationship with my friends, and I'm looking and saying, do these things mark these people? And if they mark these people, now we're, remember, we're not talking about someone struggling with sin. We're talking about someone who doesn't struggle anymore. I know what God says, I don't care, I'm doing it anyways, in fact, I'm proud of it. These things mark these people, and God says there's nothing redemptive there. You have to create space between you and them, or you will be snared, you will be caught, you will be led astray, you will be destroyed, okay? So what are the seven things, and we'll talk about how they show up in people's lives. Here they are, uh, here they are in a list, verse 16, chapter six, Proverbs. Six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Number one, haughty eyes, haughty eyes. God hates haughty eyes. The way we would say that in our modern day vernacular is we would say, God hates pride, pride. Someone who has haughty eyes is a person who is arrogant, a person who is self-centered, a person who is patronizing, a person who is unteachable, and, ready, all of that leads to a person being defiant of God's truth. They're arrogant, they're patronizing, they're unteachable, they're self-centered, and they are defiant of God's truth. This is a way this will show up in somebody's life. When someone takes their sin and they're proud of their sin and they're defiant of God's truth, they'll say, this sin is what is correct and healthy. Your morality is immoral. This sin, I am proud, I am proud of who I am, I am proud of my sin, I'm proud, I want to be identified as, and just fill in the sin, there's a plenty of options. You saying my sin is wrong, you're the immoral one. You are, you are judgmental and you are old fashioned and who are you? You're the immoral one for looking at my sin as sin. Who are you to tell me? and it's haughty eyes, it's a, it's a looking down. I'm looking down on what is right because I've given myself to what is wrong. And God says, I hate it. 
It's a prideful heart. Pride is one of the only things in scripture that God blatantly says he opposes. He opposes a proud person. God will work against a proud person but give grace to the humble. I hate it. There's nothing redemptive about that. There's no upside to defiantly having an obstinate relationship with me and standing against my truth. And God would look at you then and a warning and say, hey, you have a friend like that? That kind of person's a fool, right? They, they know the truth. They're not, they're not uninformed. They know the truth and they're choosing to reject it pridefully. They're a fool and you should distance yourself from them because they will draw you in, they will work you down, they will tell you a thousand times that your morality is immoral. They're destructive and you eventually will be destroyed by them. First thing, haughty eyes. Back to chapter six, verse 17, God hates haughty eyes. The second thing he lists here is a lying tongue. God hates a lying tongue, we would probably say a dishonest person. He hates, a, he hates dishonesty in someone. A lying tongue, this, is, this shows up this way. This is a person that you know lies to you. Everybody knows. Everybody knows you don't get a straight answer from this person. Everybody knows they're a liar. Everybody knows, don't trust what they say. Take it with a grain of salt, right? Everybody knows. This is the liar, this is the exaggerator. Uh, this is the omitter. They, they never tell you fully what's going on. If you're a crossfitter, this is the rep adder, that guy. You know, I did it 50 times. You, you look like Jeff Bowe. You can't even lift the bar 50 times, right? So it, it's that person. They, you know that they're a liar and you know not to trust them, but it comes naturally to them and they're not, remember, they're not struggling. They didn't tell a lie and asking for forgiveness. They have given themselves into it. This is their identity. Now here's something you need to know about a liar. This person will lie to you, they'll lie about you, and they'll lie for you, and this is where we get snared. The person who lies for you is not your friend. Don't worry, man, your wife will never find out. I'll cover it with the boss, dude. You just, you go ahead, I'll clock you out. The person who will lie for you is not your friend. Here's the reality, ready? A person who lies for you will lie about you and will lie to you. They will turn, because it's their nature. It's a hard heart. They're, they can never be a trusted friend. They'll lie to you, they'll lie about you, they'll lie for you. If they lie for you, they'll lie about you and they'll lie to you. And you will be caught up in that lie. Every lie catches up with you. The Bible says lying lips are an abomination unto the Lord. That's the old King James way of saying it. The Bible says the truth will find you out. Every lie you tell is gonna be, it's gonna come to the surface. You can't maintain it. So a real friend will tell you the truth about yourself. A destructive friend will lie. They'll lie for you, but they'll lie about you. They'll lie to you as well. And God says there's no upside to this. I hate it. How, do, how in the world can you have a relationship when you can't trust the truth, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, here's the third one, hands that shed innocent blood. Hands that shed innocent blood, or we would probably today, we would say a cruel person. A, one, a shedder of innocent blood or a cruel person. Now this is a spectrum. 
So this is everything from the, the dictator, Saddam Hussein, right? It's Hitler, it's those guys. And they are, they are tyrants, they're oppressive. They are going after the innocent for their own selfish causes and they shed innocent blood. That's the far side of the spectrum. The other side of the spectrum is someone who's cruel. These people are cruel to innocent people for entertainment purposes. You know anybody like that? They just think it's fun to pick on people. They are cruel to other people for entertainment purposes. Uh, you guys remember, uh, was it a couple summers ago, we were all dumping ice on our head for some reason, right? And we all got it, Heidi and I did it too. We all got into the ice bucket challenge, right? There was, a, there was an incident here in Northeast Ohio, you might remember it was on the news, where these high school boys got together and they put water and ice in and then they poured in their chewing tobacco spit from their cups then they urinated in the water and then they I think they took animal feces and then stirred it in the water and then they had their friend a guy with down syndrome do the ice bucket challenge he dumped it on his head right that is a one who sheds innocent blood I'm cruel because it's so funny to take someone who doesn't understand, who actually thinks he's being welcomed into a group of friends and he is the object of their cruelty because it entertains them. That's a, a shedder of innocent blood. This is the bully, right? This is the guy who sets up the hazing for the fraternity. That's who this is. This is the, the, the nasty girl, the mean girl at school who just picks on that one girl. And God says, that is a destructive friend. That will turn on you. There is nothing redemptive about that. Create distance. They have a hard heart and a hard head and they're not, they're not struggling. They've given in to it. Create space. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Next mark, a heart that devises wicked schemes. A heart that devises wicked schemes. These are people who prey on innocent people, right? So it's not, it's not just an impulse, it'd be funny if we did this. It's a, it's a heart that devises wicked schemes. I actually set up and I think through how we're going to participate in wickedness, right? A heart that devises wicked schemes. These, these are people that they, they, they go to the party and they get together with their friends. They're like, this is what we're gonna do. You get her in bed, you get her in bed, you get her in bed. We're gonna pre-plan how to do that. We're gonna plan to cheat. This is the way we're gonna rip the boss off. Let's just draw this. They're gonna pre-plan to do that. These are the people who run the Ponzi schemes. Right? These are the people who sold the garbage mortgages to the old ladies that collapsed our economy in 2008. They're, they're saying, how can we get away with wickedness? These are the people who set up the systems for sex trafficking, set up the systems for drug distribution. You take their skill sets in their mind, you put it in a legitimate marketplace, they're actually probably intelligent and creative leaders. But they, they, instead of doing that, they said, no, I'm gonna devise a wicked scheme. Same skill sets, but we're going to traffic girls with it instead. And God says, you see a person like that? They're not struggling, they're given to it, they know better, they're doing it on purpose. Distance, because they will draw you in. You will wind up driving the getaway car for them. And you will be snared 
in their scheme. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, and feet that are quick to rush to evil. Feet that are quick to rush to evil. This shows up like this. This is the person that's looking for the party, right? This is the person, we're going out tonight and our goal is to hook up. This is the person that calls you to go drinking, right? You mean like a nice Chardonnay with a steak? No, not, not like a good glass of wine with a good meal, like let's go drinking, right? Our goal is to get trashed tonight. Their, their feet are rushing to evil. They're excited to do it. This is the, the guys that go on the business trip. They land in a city. First thing they do is figure out where the strip joints are. <laughs> and they talk about it ahead of time. Oh, it's gonna be great. When we get there, we're going to do X, Y, Z. This is the person that shows up with the drugs to the party. This is the person who signs up for Ashley Madison. How, there's evil. How do I, what's the quickest way for me to get involved in it? And the Bible says you, you don't have friends like this. They will destroy you. Your mouth, good, bad company corrupts good morals. You will, you will go in strong, but the more they do and the more they talk about it and it seems like fun and everybody knows and what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, which isn't true. It always comes home with you in one form or another, right? But feet that are quick to rush to evil, God says there's no upside to that. These aren't people who stumbled into evil. These are people who found the fastest path to be a part of it. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness who pours out lies. False witness who pours out lies. These are the folks who are the gossips, who are the rumor starters. They love it right, and they get it all going, and they gossip to you. Now, here's the thing with these folks. The person you get your gossip from is the same one who's gossiping about you. You just need to know that. The person you get your own personal TMZ, you know, representative, right, the person you get your gossip from is the person who's gossiping about you. The person who tells you that person's secret is the same person who's telling your secret. And God says there's no value in it. You, God, it's, it's amazing, you get in the New Testament, gossip is on the same plateau of sin as adultery, idolatry, homosexuality, immorality, gossip, none will inherit the kingdom of God. It's a big, big deal to God. Why, because God will look and say there's, there's nothing productive. There's, there's nothing redeeming. There's nothing helpful about gossip. It will only destroy you. Don't even sit at their feet and listen. You'll be blessed if you get away from them. And don't even hear the information, right? Because it's so destructive. Haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. A person who stands up, con uh, stirs up conflict in the community. This is what the Bible calls a divisive person. So this is the bomb thrower. This is the person who, who asks the ridiculous question because they just like to get the argument going, right? I had an uncle like this, and my mom used to say, don't, ha don't even engage it, Jeff, because your uncle will argue a point all the way through, get to the end, change teams, and argue it back. 
just likes to be cantankerous, likes to ask the offensive question in the offensive way. This, this is the person who is hyper-political. They are hyper-opinionated. They love to hear themselves talk and they are divisive. Now it's fascinating. They enjoy causing the division, right? They, they, they feel good about it. The Bible says this, you know one of the only things that the Apostle Paul tells us to excommunicate someone for is division. He says if you have a divisive person in the church, kick them out. Why? Isn't that mean? No, because they find sport in it. They're not struggling. They don't have a legitimate question about the Bible. They're not, they're not just the person with the guts to raise their hand in the meeting. That's not what we're talking about. Those are, those are friends. This is a person, they find sport in it. They find entertainment in it. And there's no redeeming value. Paul says, kick them out. Don't have anything to do with them because they will only destroy and bring about destruction. Seven things that God hates. He, de- he despises them. Why? Because they hurt the people that he loves. They, they distort his truth of love. And they only bring about destruction. And the warning the fool, the arrogant, get away from them, all that proverb stuff, get away from them or you will be drawn into it, right? Now, you look at that, you look at those seven things, you look at those other passages we looked at and, and, and you suddenly, you can't really argue with the Bible on this one because it, it's right there in the book and then if we think about it a little bit, we know that this shows up in real time in our lives, right? So the, the scriptural warning is very clear. The scriptural warning would be this, you are going to become like the people that you bring into your life. You're going to become like the people that you bring into your life. Now, that's actually a good thing when redeemed. So that's Genesis chapter two, right? Image of God. We're created for relationships. So when I, when I need strengths in my life or I need help in my life or joy in my life, they're, they're, I might bring certain people into my life life because they bring about a wholeness, they bring about a, a Christ-likeness in that area of my life. But the coin flips with friends. So friends can build you up and help you dream and let you be who Christ has called you to be or they will destroy you because you're going to become like the people that you bring into your life. It's the way that it functions. You're going to value what they value. You're gonna see the world the way they see the world. If they're pessimistic, you're gonna become pessimistic. If they're optimistic, you'll probably become optimistic, right? Uh, you're, you're, going to, you're going to take on the attitudes that they have. We affect each other, we're supposed to. Nothing wrong with that, it's supposed to work that way. But I'm going to become like the people in my life. I'm gonna see Christ the way that they see Christ. If I see Christ as this loving God who, wants, who is my friend and, and I get to serve him and oh, it's the most meaningful, that's gonna affect you. If I see Christ as the church and they're always after money and what are they build now? Have you seen the car Jeff drives? It, then then that's, the, that's the attitude I'm gonna take about Christ. I'm going to become like the people that I bring into my life, right? So when you start thinking about your friends, you start doing the DTR on it a little bit, right? You go out with your girlfriends and your girlfriends are all salty and sassy about their husbands and I can't believe it and he's such a jerk and all he does is work and he, he doesn't even mow the grass and at least he could get a raise. Now he's bold. You, you, get, you get salt and sassy about that, you're gonna bring that home and it's gonna affect your marriage because you're gonna be like the people that you hang out with. 
right? It's going to be destructive to your marriage. You're gonna, you're gonna start being pessimistic about your husband that you never were before. And flip it, you go out with your buddies and, yeah, my wife, old ball and chain, old lady at home, you know how she is, <laughs> right? And she's getting old now, she got some miles on her, oh, look at that young thing over there. And you, you start getting those negative attitudes about your wife, you'll get them from your friends, right? And it is gonna come into your, you're gonna stop seeing the wonder and the beauty of who your wife is because someone has poisoned, they have affected, you're being drawn in. You can do it a, as a child. You know, my, my, my parents, my parents are the biggest diphthongs ever. I can't believe it. And let me tell you something. And you and it, I may need to see a chiropractor now, but, but that you get the point that you get, you get that negative, rebellious attitude, that, that, that egocentric, arrogant attitude that I know it all, it's, you get it from your friend. You may have a great relationship with your mom and dad, but you will come home with that attitude. You'll, your, your friends will affect how you interact with your friends. Sally, Sally's going out with that guy, and he's just the biggest toad I've ever met, and I just can't believe it. And besides that, I was gonna date him, and, and I'm, I'm making a Snapchat story about this one. Sally's a jerk, what do you think? She is, and the whole thing plays out, right? Because one person picked it up and got it moving. You become like the people that are around you. So here's the, here's the bottom line question. Now I'm looking at my friends. I'm looking at a bottom line question. Here's a bottom line question in friendships. Here it is, ready? Are my friends taking me closer to Christ or are my friends making me further from Christ? Are my friends taking me closer to Christ or are my friends taking me further from Christ? And you have to, you have to define that relationship. Are, are my friends helping me be Christ-centered or are my friend, when I'm with these persons, I'm not even thinking about Christ most of the time, right? And you start to sort that out a little bit. And as you sort that out, you'll probably come across people and they're not taking you closer to Christ. They're, by the way, you can never be neutral in this. So you're either getting closer or you're getting further. There's no such thing as standing still. And so you look and say, well, these friends aren't doing that. Now I have these friends that they're not taking me closer to Christ. What do I do with them? What am I supposed to do with them? And I would offer you three options with it, okay? Three options with it. So I'm looking. They have some of these seven things in their life. You realize they're not going closer to Christ. I don't know. What am I supposed to do? Three options. Here's the first one. You look at that relationship and the first thing you wanna do is you wanna see if you can bring them along. Can I bring you along? I, you know, we, we, all were, we all were drinking buddies in college together, that's what we did on the weekends. We drank and we hooked up, that's what we did. But I've come to Christ now. My, my life has changed. All that stuff I was trying to fill in, numb myself to, I have a hope and a purpose and a drive and I'm excited about it, right? You're my friend. I want to invite you to come along with me. I want, I want to tell you what I've, what I've found. So should I stay in this relationship? Well, if I can bring it along, I should stay close to it. Now here's what you gotta ask yourself, ready? This is a very tough question, here it is. When you're looking at trying to bring somebody along, you gotta ask yourself this question. Am I a redeemer or am I a reflector? Am I a redeemer or am I a reflector? Should I stay friends with my, with my old buddies even though I have this new 
life in Christ? Well, if you're a redeemer, the answer is yes. If I can get close to that relationship and they start coming along and I'm introducing truth and I'm introducing joy and Christ-likeness and, and if I'm redeeming the relationship, doesn't mean that they have to change overnight. You're looking at like patterns in their life. Over time, are they becoming closer and closer to being centered on Christ? If I can redeem that relationship, go for it. But you gotta be honest with, this, with it. Am I a redeemer or am I a reflector? When I'm over here, I'm all about Jesus. And then I go out with my old buddies. And somehow my morals and my Christ-likeness and my passion for God and my love for my wife and my faithfulness and are all compromised because I start reflecting their values. Right? I'm not redeeming this relationship. Well, we're lifetime friends. That's fine. We're talking about proximity. I'm not redeeming this relationship. They're pulling me down. I'm not pulling them up. Be honest about it. So friends that, that you would look, say they take me further from Christ, what do I do? First I'm asking, can, can I bring them along? If you can, great. If you can't, be honest. You're reflecting them, okay? If you're not redeeming it, then there's a step two. So we're going to go to a second level with it. If I'm not redeeming it, step two, I'm gonna look at them and I'm gonna say, maybe I, I need to let them drift away. Maybe I need to let them drift away, okay? We're all old drinking buddies, right? I found Christ. Do you wanna come with me? You know, I really don't. Okay, that's cool. You going with us? No, man, I'm not going. You, you join in this league with us? You know, I'm, I'm not gonna join this year. You wanna go, uh, we're going to Vegas, guys, not. No, eh, you know what, I'm not gonna go. I'm gonna stay home with my family this year. You're letting them drift away. There's not a, there's not a hard break, per se, but you're looking at them and saying, you know what, I, I am in a different season of life and I want Christ to be predominant in that. And you guys aren't there yet. I can't handle being with you. You don't really care about what I've discovered. So I'm, go I'm gonna stay here where I need to be. And it's a season thing. I'm gonna move to another season. Now here's the catch with this one. When they're ready to come out of their season, you receive them with joy. Okay, I'm gonna pick that back up. They come back from Vegas and they got caught doing what they were doing and now their marriage blew up and their wife's on the, and you're like, you know what? I'm right here, man. I gotta turn my life around. I would love to help you do that. I would love you. Now that you're ready, I'd like to start bringing you along, okay? So sometimes we let people drift because we need to. Uh, they, they don't care. We need to care, right? And we, we, it's a seasonal thing, drift. Now, if they won't come along, and if they won't drift, because let's be honest, some of your friends that need to drift away won't drift away. They keep showing up, right? They're at everything, but they're destructive now. It's, a, I can't get this guy out of my life. He's always showing up. He brings the weed. It's destructive. I can't get her out of my life. I, I'm trying to have a Christ-centered relationship. She keeps calling me for, I'm, I'm her phone call. I'm her hookup. Right? So I'm, just, I'm trying to get away from it. They won't go away. If they won't come along and if they won't drift away, then there are certain relationships that you have that need to be weeded out. There are certain friendships that you have that need to be stopped 
because there's nothing redemptive that happens in that relationship, right? Dude, I am, I am trying to pursue my sobriety. You cannot show up at my house to watch the game like you used to and bring in a 12-pack. I cannot stand against that. You, I am trying, I wanna have a God-honoring dating relationship. You only, you insist that we sleep together. I'm breaking it off. We cannot manage this and you're not interested in it, all right? I am trying to be ethical in the way that I conduct business. I cannot do business with you. I, I have to weed the relationship out. And there, this is where the Bible's warning Look at these, manage these, and there are times that you have to leave, flee from the one who is bringing the destructive behavior, who is obstinate in the relationship with God. I know, I know what your dumb Bible says, I don't care. Well, actually, I do care. It's the centerpiece of my life. We're not gonna be able to be friends anymore. Now, let's just talk about this for a second because there's a mistake that's made. Oftentimes what we do is we mistake creating distance in a relationship with withholding love from someone and they're not, they're not synonymous. I can create distance in a relationship. It doesn't mean that I withhold love. I'm never to withhold love as a follower of Christ. I'm to be known for my love. I love my enemies for good night. So me not being around you all the time has nothing to do with me not loving you. Someone will make that accusation, it's not true. I love you. When your life crashes, call me. I'll, I'll get some of my strong friends and we'll come get you. When you're ready to sober up, call me. We're not gonna be able to be sober together because we're gonna trigger each other, but I will help connect you into people who will help you do that. You call me. When, when, when you're broken, you call, I love you. I will never withhold love from you, but I will create distance in a relationship. We can't hang out because we bring out the worst in each other. So don't confuse those things. Distance does not equal the withholding of love, right? So I'm gonna do the DTR on my friendships. I'm looking for the, are these seven things? And by the way, if you got friends that are, have some of the seven things you know already, like it caught you the minute we talked about it, right? So you're looking at these seven things, what do I do? Bring them along, nope, drift, they won't, and I may have to weed out, right? Now here's the thing. If I have to weed out, if I have to change friends, and some of us do, and some of us have over the years, to change friends, here's something I want you to get. This is super duper important, ready? If I do that, it is incredibly important that I don't wind up isolated. If I, if I break off old friendships because they're destructive, it's not that I become a solo act and become isolated because here's what's gonna happen. I can't be isolated, why? I'm not created to be isolated. Remember our theological construct, Genesis chapter, I'm creating the image of God. It means I have, I have to pursue relationships or I'll go nuts. So if I wind up isolated, what I have to do is I have to, the clear alternative to unhealthy friends is this, that I create a stable of Christ-centered relationships that I purposely and regularly invest in. The alternative, it's not friends, no friends. It's different friends. 
if I let myself be isolated and I don't create new friendships, this is what's gonna happen. The temptation for me to return to a relationship, even though it's unhealthy, is overwhelming. It's my spiritual DNA. I gotta, I gotta be in a relationship or I'll go nuts. You isolate a human being, they'll literally die. So I have to have a relationship and I will choose a bad relationship over no relationship. And here's the thing. You go back into that relationship and the bonds of that relationship will be stronger than they've ever been. You relapse, go back to your drinking, drugging friends, it's 10 times harder to get away from them the second time. You relapse, you go back to your girl, your guy that you're, you're all sexed up with, the bonds of that relationship is stronger than it's, than it's ever been, see? So when I break those bonds, I don't stand in isolation, what do I do? I create Christ-centered friends and I purposely and regularly invest myself into those relationships. Remember this principle, it's huge. Friendships are not discovered, they're created. That's a truth, you should write that down. You should probably get a tattoo of that. Fr friendships are not discovered, they're created. I create relationships. So if I was breaking away from destructive friends and I'm feeling here by myself and I want to have Christ-centered friends, where is a place created by God where perhaps I might find a bunch of other people focused on God who are open to relationships? The church. You know why we get together for church every weekend? You know we do that because the Bible tells us to? Do you know that? It's not, it's not a function of the organized church. We get together every week for church because the Bible specifically says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Why would God say that? Because a church is not a not-for-profit. The church is not a social organization. The church is people. It's a group of people who want to pursue Christ and who are unusually open to making friends. I wanna share my life with you and I wanna let you share your life with me. And God says, right, you guys need to get in the room with each other, like weekly, so that you know that, so that you see that, so you're not isolated. I need Christ-centered friends, where would I get them? At church. I would be involved in the church. The church is full of people and none of them are destructive? Didn't say that, didn't say that. There are some messed up people in this church. I don't wanna point fingers, but they're out in this general direction, okay? I didn't say that everybody at church is safe and sound. I said that there are people at church who love Christ and will, will love you and will receive love from you. They'll, have, they'll be a friend, right? Perfect, no, they're all screwed up. They're human beings. We're all messed up, right? but can they be centered? Yes. I'm breaking off these addictive activities and relationships. Where do I go now? Well, if you're struggling with addictions, you should go to Celebrate Recovery. It meets every Friday night right here at Grace Church. It's full of perfect people. No, they're a disaster. You should meet those guys. They're a mess, but they love Jesus and they love each other and they're a human beings like the rest of us. I'm having, you know, we, we, went we went through an affair and we're trying to see healthy marriages and what do we do? You should get into a life group. There's perfect marriages. Uh, get into a marriage group, an intimate encounters group. There, there's, there's perfect marriages. There. No, they're, mar they're a mess. They got like the, their marriages are all screwed up like mine is. They're, they're terrible. Two human beings sitting against each other. That's all messed up. But they're focused, so much so that they're taking time to have a Christ-centered relationship. I need new friends, we need family for life group. 
Perfect families in life group? No, dysfunction junction, man. Dysfunction junction, that's your average life group. Well, what's the people who love Christ? They're committed to doing it in a healthy way. Connect groups, see? You're a college, I gotta get out of sorority life, I gotta get out of the dorm life, it's just, it's insane. I've, what do I do? New perspective. Go, go on the retreat. You, let me tell you something. You go on that retreat, if you don't come back with new friends, I will personally refund your money, right? They're there, the environments are there. Created by God, God created the church, why? Because he knows we can't live in isolation. So we live life together, we pray together, we confess our sins to one another, we, we bear each other's burdens, we laugh together, we cry together, we pursue Christ together, see? I have to categorize and be honest about my friendships. And there are certain things that God hates because they only destroy. There's nothing positive that's gonna come out of it. And if I'm in the relationship like that, I have to create distance. If they'll come along, great. If we have to drift, we have to drift. If I gotta cut them out, I gotta cut them out. I have to do what Christ would have me to do. Now I stand in isolation, but I should not stay isolated. I have to purposely and regularly invest in those relationships, all right? All right, there's three questions for you. I want you to think about it and chew on it here for the rest of our time together. Here's the first one. The first one is this. Have you honestly evaluated your relationships? Guys, you gotta do this with your friendships. We do it in other relationships, but somehow it's weird in friendships. We do it in our dating relationships. I don't know. You know, I don't know. He's weird looking. He's got a high voice, kind of a large nose and a bit of a hump in his back, but I love him anyways, and Heidi married me, right? So we, we do it in other relationships. We would define those relationships. We would be critical. We, before you went into business with somebody, what are the strengths, what are the weaknesses, do I trust you would do it? It's okay to do that in your friendships. It doesn't mean that you don't love someone, but to look and say they are a circumstantial friend, they are a seasonal friend, they are a destructive friend, okay? Define their relationships. Second question, here it is. You now have to be honest. Are you a redeemer or a reflector? Because let's be honest, you might be the destructive friend, right? Are you a redeemer or are you a reflector? If you're being drawn back in, if you leave your buddies and you're not a stronger husband, if you leave your buddies and you're not a better father, if you leave your buddies and you're not a better friend, if you pick them up, you have to be honest about that. What, what, it, what is happening to me in this relationship? And then hit the three options. Can I bring them along? Do we need the drift? Do I need to weed them out? Last thing, here it is, number three. Do you have Christ-centered relationships? You have Christ-centered friendships. Now, listen, some of us do, and we're like, yep, good to go, that's awesome. Most of us don't, and most of us don't know how, what that even means. What do you mean Christ-centered relationship? Well, you have friends that center you on Christ. Is that friend taking you closer to Christ or pulling you further away from Christ? You have those. And we must, often, many of us will say, well, I don't even, I don't even know how to do that. What are, we, what are we supposed to sing songs to each other? I don't know, that all sounds weird, I can't do it. What would you do? Let me, let me show you how you can make, how to start to have a Christ in a relationship. So 
a couple guys. You got a buddy, you know he's interested in Christ too. Church, the, the word of God's important to him. Call that buddy up, right? Hey man, hey, what are you doing? Nothing. Man conversation. Ladies, you, don't, you won't get this, right? So it's man conversation. Hey uh, dude, you wanna have a Christ-centered relationship? Very awkward science. We'll, we'll follow that, right? I don't, I don't, something about that sounds wrong to me, right? So it's, that, so it's man conversation. You look and say, hey, I'm trying to pursue Christ. I know you're trying to pursue Christ. Can we get together every two weeks and have a cup of coffee regularly and purposely, purposefully? What are we gonna do? Talk about God. Um, are we gonna share our feelings or anything like that? I don't Right? What if we do this? What if, um, what if every week we commit to each other to reading the same chapter of the Bible? So every two weeks we read two chapters of the Bible and we get together and we'll have coffee and we'll just, we'll just talk about what we read. You've just introduced Christ into a, re- a relationship, right? Now does that make a difference? Sure. Uh, my best, I've been best friends with a guy named Jason Haymaker since I was a freshman in high school. We've gotten together generally once a week since we got out of college. He lives down the, up in Macedonia. We've gotten together generally once a week for 22 years. We started reading the Bible together, just kind of talking about all these little awkward things, right? We built, built, built. Now he's a friend that is closer than a brother. It's how you create deep relationships. So you start it. You know, you get together with your girlfriends. Hey, girl, what you doing? Nothing, looking at Pinterest, right? And so you guys, you get together, you do whatever you do, nobody really knows, but you get together and you do what, do what you do. And what if you made a, a simple commitment to each other? What if you said, you know what? Whenever we're together, before we leave, we're gonna pray for each other. Simple, easy peasy. Whenever we're together, before we leave, we're gonna pray for each other. And we're gonna make that commitment to each other. You got f- family, friends, right? You get together, you guys wanna play euchre, watch the game, you know, do whatever, let the kids destroy the house, that kind of stuff. And, and you get together, you enjoy each other, you get to the door to say goodbye, you have that awkward moment at the door, do you hug, do you high five, what do you do, right? Nobody knows. What, what if you as couples just said, we're gonna make a commitment to each other, um, before we leave, one of the men is gonna pray. That's it. One of, our, one of the husbands is gonna pray. And you're going to interject Christ into a relationship. You let that cook over time and you'll be shocked where it takes you. By the way, that's what Life Group is doing, right? That's what Connect Groups are doing. That, that's all that, concern. it's all out there. You just have to purposely, regularly engage it, right? All right. Ask the band to come out. You think on these stuff, chew on a little bit. I'm gonna pray for you. And then they're gonna create some space for us to, to think and focus on God, okay? Jesus, we love you. Thanks for being our friend. Lord, I realize that when we talk like this, for some of us, a person is on our mind now. A person that we love, a person that we have lived life with. And God, I, I, it's a heavy conversation then. So God, I ask for two things. One, I ask that our commitment to you overrides everything else in our life. That our passion, our friendship with you is the predominant feature of our life. 
And then secondly, God, I would ask for courage, discernment, and wisdom. That we would see people correctly, we would discern whether they wanna come along or not, and then we'd have the courage to make the tough choices in life. Holy Spirit, I would ask that you would help us think all this through, press the word deep into our heart, and then renew our mind through it, and help us to think and align with you. Thank you, Jesus. Help us even now. In your name we pray. Amen.